I'm Kyle Knotten from Single Thread Farm Restaurant and Inn, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with chefs and food authors about their favorite ingredients. We then speak to the producer of that ingredient. We talk about the history, how it's made, and why chefs love using it in their kitchens. Andrea, it is a beautiful day today in Healdsburg, California. Absolutely gorgeous here, John. The sun is shining. Uh, it's just the everything is in full bloom, and I couldn't be more honored and happy to be at what is amongst the finest of the fine restaurants in the United States. We are here at Single Thread Farms, which is a restaurant and inn in in Healdsburg. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Connaughton is the chef. Three Michelin stars. People cannot say enough great things about this restaurant. Absolutely. Him and his wife really, um, when you think of farm to table, that is single thread farms, you know, yep. from at its core. And they are, you know, they're not just growing, you know, um, you know, one or two types of different uh, produce. They're, they're really um, trying to uh, bring out the uniqueness and the bounty of California in everything that they do. And I'm really excited that when we asked Kyle what he wanted to talk about, he wanted to talk about fresh California tomatoes. Yeah, and we had a chance this morning to walk around the farm where they grow a lot of their own tomatoes and a lot of herbs and different things that they use in the restaurant. So that that's going to be just, I can't wait for this conversation coming up in just a couple of minutes. And then- uh, we're going to get on the line with Hugo Gomez from Munich Ranch, and they're down in Paso Robles, California. They grow tomatoes. They've been at this, I think, 30 plus years. They grow some of the finest, fresh California heirloom tomatoes um, that, uh, you know, if you've ever been to the Santa Monica Farmer's Market down yeah. in LA, these are the tomatoes that you dream of. Uh, they Absolutely. They're so great. So it's going to be wonderful to talk to Hugo Gomez from Munich Ranch. Yeah, when I we were looking to see who we were going to talk to from a vendor perspective, John, um, we asked our LA team because we have you know our amazing Santa Monica Farmers Market program where chefs can call in and we will actually go to the farmers market for that chef and pick up fresh produce. And as soon as I said I need a tomato farmer immediately everyone said we needed to talk to Hugo. So I cannot wait to talk to him all about tomatoes. Yeah. Munich Ranch. They are, you know, every, all the great chefs of LA, all the great chefs of California know who the uh, Gomez family are and Hugo and and Miguel and what they're growing in Paso Robles. So this is going to be an awesome episode. I love tomatoes and uh, can't wait to get this one going. Let's do it. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. So this crazy California tour continues. Um, We're now in beautiful Healdsburg and very lucky because we're with Chef Kyle Knotten of Single Thread Restaurant and farm is that how we say it? Yeah, farm restaurant, and we always say farm first because the farm comes first. Yeah, amazing. And we had a chance to actually walk mm-hmm. on the farm earlier this afternoon. Absolutely beautiful, stunning, incredible. And we're going to talk about tomatoes today. And I will tell you, when we were walking out on the farm earlier, um, I saw what looked like at least 10, 15 varieties of tomatoes. Did I you think eat I, all fifteen varieties? I, John? You better believe it. Yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> seem like they're at the peak of the season uh how much how many tomatoes are you guys growing out there yeah actually throughout the season which would be june all the way to november in total it's about 30 different varieties wow Wow. in there yeah so it's uh it's it's a lot of tomatoes and my wife likes to do a lot of different varieties and she does all these different varieties that ripen at different times so they don't all hit us at once so different flavor profiles different colors different sizes in different times of the year so we're really like actually harvesting you know, tomatoes for what, almost five months, really? Beautiful. 
I love when we ask chefs what ingredient they want to talk about. I get kind of excited, like awaiting the email response or the text response. So when you said you wanted to talk about tomatoes, I my first question is why? Yeah, well, talking about tomatoes is really, you know, for me is a great way to talk about my wife's farm and what we do here. I mean, everything that we do creatively is driven by our farm. So what's a lot different about the way that we cook here in our restaurant, which is a 10-course menu that guests don't make any choices. They tell us their dietary restrictions, their allergies and aversions, and we just cook. And that's changing all the time. And, you know, typically as a chef, you say, what do I feel like cooking? What do I want to cook? What do I want to say? And then you go out and source those ingredients. And if you work closely with farmers and locally, you say, okay, what's in season? Who has what? And you kind of choose. Here, it's different. We're actually driven by the farm. The farm says, you have this and then we cook. Then we decide what we're going to do. But it's not just this. It's like, this is what you will have. This is when it's coming. This is when it's those peak. This is how much you'll have. This is how much within a week or on a daily basis you'll have and for how long. And so it's not just like a one for one. Okay, this it's what size will it be? How much will it be? And that drives the dish. If we're going to have an abundance of something, then we figure out ways to utilize it in a lot of different ways. And we have this kind of hierarchy of uses. So, the, you know, on the menu or through our fermentation program or creating, you know, things that we may like jar or, you know, pickle or preserve or turn into different kinds of sauces. And we have family meal here because we have 125 staff. So, you know, every day we're cooking for like 80 people and, you know, we have all these. And then some of the other work that we might be doing with, um, uh, like a kind of farm to pantry type of group and, and food banks and those kinds of things. So produce goes to all kinds of different places, but it's being driven to us and, and really like dictated by Katina, my wife and the farm team. And so um, that's how we decide what we're going to cook and, and really kind of drives that, that creativity. And then we sort of like build around that. So for us, it's kind of like the entry point to really to talk about our cuisine and why tomatoes is one I love tomatoes. We get so excited about them every year. I don't eat a tomato all year in anticipation of like eating the perfectly ripe when we like really look forward to that. And then it isn't just a tomato. I said it's all these different varieties come at different times and different colors and different sizes. And we find ways to utilize them and really expose to, you know, guests because for a lot of people, you go into a store and maybe there's a, you know, hot house versus conventional or aroma, but like a tomato is a tomato is a tomato. And for us, it's like, it's like a whole world. It's like a whole category. It's not like a thing. It's like it's like almost like a whole like you'd have brassicas or alliums. It's like tomatoes. It's like a whole category. Yeah. I mean, there's all the different sizes. There's mm-hmm. all the different colors. I think when we were out at the farm, we saw some tiny. I think they were sweet 100s and sun golds and pear shaped and then bigger. You know, the traditional heirloom varietals. My wife has her favorites. We have our favorites. I mean, we're looking at what we're going to grow in terms of when they're going to be harvested so like that we we kind of have them constantly coming and changing different varieties but variety in terms of flavor color size use and you know we always want to show you know to our to our chefs and also to to our guests like that you know some have this incredible sweetness like the sweet 100s or the small little current tomatoes you probably saw out there yep. today incredibly sweet some are much more umami like very very high in glutamates and you know, and so you have some that are like more for eating raw and some for saucing and some for juicing. And, um, you know, they it's it's really nice to see that they all have these like kind of different functionality. So here's a tip for all those aspiring young chefs out there that want to become have these amazing restaurants. This is a Michelin three star restaurant, which is the highest accolade that can be placed upon a restaurant in the world fall in love and marry a farmer yeah it's just that easy <laughs> and then get to a place let's yeah. jump back to that time because you know we were reading about you you and katina were high school sweethearts yeah in los yeah. angeles yeah amazing yeah 15 16 years old yeah. that's wild and talk to us about the journey because young chefs want to know what it takes to get to the pinnacle in this game and, and in this business um did you start out cooking in la how did you get into the world of food to begin with yeah, I mean, I was always into it. I knew I wanted to be a chef when I was nine. My parents spent a lot of time in Japan. I grew up in L.A. Uh, Katina did as well. We met at a, like a little punk rock show when we were 15 years old and have been together um, ever since. But, um, you know, grew up a lot of a lot around a lot of really diverse food and, and a lot of great food. And both my parents are from the U.K. and we got to travel a lot. My dad was spending a lot of time in Japan 
when I was growing up. So I kind of got really, really into Japan and Japanese cuisine from a very young age. Started cooking in a sushi bar, um, working in a sushi bar as like a busboy um, as soon as I could when I was like 15, 16 years old. And that's what I wanted to do. Specifically, I wanted to learn how to cook Japanese food. And But I came up in L.A. working for, for chefs like Suzanne Goyen. And I worked at I opened Spago, Beverly Hills, and Luke and AOC and Dining Room the Ritz-Carlton. But I also worked at sushi restaurants as well. And I worked for a lot of chefs who had come from Chez Panisse, who had come up to Northern California. And I really like brought that down back down to Southern California. And we were at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. And we were it really sort of like brought me into like seasonality and locality and working uh, with farmers. And I, I went to traditional culinary school, but I also went to Japanese culinary school, um, did an apprenticeship in Japan and Kobe, studied sushi, studied washoku, Japanese cuisine, kaiseki cuisine. And then we moved back. We moved to Hokkaido. We moved to the North Island of Japan for three years with our young kids in tow. And uh, we brought our daughters there. And we lived in a very, very small agricultural fishing village um, I worked for Michel Bra, which at the time was a three Michelin star restaurant from the south of France, Laguiole, and uh, who had opened a restaurant inside this very, very remote, a rural, beautiful property, um, like hotel property that was in Hokkaido. It was really like this escape for people coming from Tokyo and Osaka and very city places in Japan. And uh, also there was a uh, um, kaiseki restaurant from Kyoto called Miyamaso. So I was I worked in the French cuisine and also in the traditional kaiseki cuisine. I spent some time in sushi. And so I was like seeing the ingredients sort of going through the French lens and through the kaiseki lens. And uh, so we spent a few there. And that's where my wife started farming. So we, we were in this ag village. Um, all of the, the other, you know, the parents of the kids uh, you know, my kids were going to school with, um, you know, they were all farmers. And so she started her farming career, like on a small strawberry farm there. Like learning from the other yeah, learning parents? Yeah, or... And that's where she really fell in love with it because um, she was a city kid, but loved food and outdoors. And she's just like a nurturer by nature. And so she got really involved with ag there and fell in love and decided she wanted to be a farmer. And then we actually moved um, outside of London after that for five years, um, and I was the head of um, R&D for the Fat Duck, for S. Blumenthal, the Fat Duck, uh, for five years. So I did all the R&D work there for that, like, at a very, very exciting time when kind of like the modernist cuisine movement was sort of like taking, really taking off. It was a really a dynamic and exciting place to be, and a lot of work with El Bulli and a lot of those you know, places that were kind of really like driving that style of, um, uh, of cuisine. And my wife was, uh, um, was also farming there on uh, these beautiful Victorian gardens. We lived on the house on this property, it's beautiful old Victorian gardens. So she was still farming there, but we always had this dream to come to Healdsburg specifically. We got married near here when we were 23 and we were actually driving to Chez Panisse the day after our wedding in Mendocino and we stopped in this town of Healdsburg as just like a place to pull over and like get lunch and we fell in love with it and we were kind of like dreamed that one day this would be the place Healdsburg would be the place so we moved to all these different places and did different things and we're back and forth to Japan quite a bit but we always had our sights set on Healdsburg and like 17 years later we ended up you know opening single thread in this town that we first fell in love with but we eventually, after five years in, in the UK, we came back here and just said, we, we have to like move to Healdsburg and figure this out. And it took us a few years and was teaching and working on the Modernist Cuisine book series. And I wrote a book about Japanese pottery uh, and while just kind of different projects while we were like, and it took us basically four or five years to like start her farm. And we built this building and there used to be a post office here that burned down. And so it was all from scratch and it, you know, it took sort of like, years to uh build. but it but it's uh yeah it's been it's been uh kind of quite a journey and, and this december will be uh six years for a single thread wow. incredible i want to go back and dive into japan because i visited japan four or five years ago blew my mind i knew it was going to be special but i didn't realize how special it is and when you talk about hokkaido the first thing that jumps into my mind is scallops and uni yeah and then when you talk about your wife learning to farm strawberries in Japan, the precision and Japanese fruit in general, that was one of the things on my visit to Japan where I, I learned about the Japanese art of fruit gifting yeah. and going into these department stores and seeing the most incredible produce yeah, yeah. I've she ever seen She grew those gift strawberries. Yeah. Okay. It, those I are mean, the ones that she Let's grew, talk yeah. about that for a yeah. little bit because <laughs> for those of you who are not aware, you can go to Japan into these stores 
and find a perfect peach, or you can find a bunch of grapes that is absolute perfection. Um, and the prices are, you know, quite, they can get quite high. Sure. Um, it is a special thing where there's like a lot of care. And as you said, it, it really is, it's, it's for, it really is for gift. And it's incredible. Is it for like like um, like a wedding or a birthday or like what uh, what is the gift that you typically give fruit? Yeah, gift giving in Japan is a very complex sort of uh, yeah. cultural thing. I mean, you know, occasions can be you know you give gifts for all kinds of you know different things. Even just meeting up with friends or coming over you know to someone's uh, you know home and um, so many things agriculturally uh, in the world of food in Japan are so terroir and location based that if you say that you're from a town or a village or something in Japan, people will know what that town or village is like famous for agriculturally. And so it speaks a lot to like, it's not just like a peach, it's like a peach specifically from this village in this area, you know, in this prefecture or something. So like our, our village in Hokkaido is very famous for this Toyorichigo, it's called, it's like this one particular strawberry. So it's like, it's, and that's how a lot of things, um, you know, are. And, and that's, I think a, a lot of what drive, you know, has always drawn me to Japan is like this like reverence for like artisanal craftsmanship, reverence for seasons, focus on quality, um, you know, love of hospitality. And just even the gift giving culture is just like, that's what we do. Every day, right, as chefs, is like we're cooking for people. We're taking care of people. Um, you know, it's the hospitality for us, like, far outweighs, like, the cuisine. You know, when people are coming here to Single Thread, of course, they're coming in experience in our cuisine. But they're not – we don't look at it as they're coming here to experience our cuisine, our, us. We're, we're here to, like, curate an experience for them. So that, like, even thinking of gift-giving in, in Japanese called motenashi is, like, the hospitality is, like – this idea of Japanese, um, you know, hospitality is like very, very important to the culture. And you've brought that to single thread. I think like that is what I have, you know, read mostly is how important hospitality is to you here. Um, I guess talk about a little bit and when you were creating this space, how you thought about that and what you bring, you know, how, how you bring it to single thread every day. Yeah, we well, we had the, what was great is we had the ability to build this building. So it was really um what we say hospitality by design. So like specifically designing the moments and the transitions that guests have and creating anticipation for what the next moment's going to be and how they move around the property and how we engage them and how we have eye contact, you know, with them, you know, in different areas. Also how we completely eliminate any interface with technology. Like you'll never see us like go to like a screen or pull out a phone or like, so we kind of take all these like technology prompts out, like all these things are like really about, you know, considering, you know, the the guests and how they feel. But what we're doing here at Single Thread every day is, is we, we say, like, we're telling the story of today. So when you come in through the menu, through all of the flowers, which you saw all the flowers that my wife grows out of yes. the farm. So, you know, she grows all of the floral and we have a big floral team that they come and my wife does the floral design here with our older daughter and the floral team. And so the flowers which we use a lot all over the dining room and in a lot of like the way that we present the food. It's everything about what we're doing is always telling the story about today. And so when you sit down, you really feel like not only like the sense of place, which I think we talk a lot about as chefs, like restaurants, like really like kind of um, having the sense of place, but also like time within the place. So when you're here today, this day, you're experiencing what, Katina has seen through her eyes as a farmer, as a florist, what she's gathering from nature and this kind of story that she's trying to tell. And then we're like enhancing that and using other products and things seasonally, maybe seafood or whatever it is. And we're really telling the guests that story along with like the artists and culture that surrounds what, what we do. So that's kind of like the narrative of what we're doing. That's like, if you think about like the way a novel is with the chapters and how you build that story or a movie script or, you know, we kind of look at the menu in this way of where we're like telling this story, you know, of today. And then the hospitality aspect of that is, is really to take everything away from the guests that they have to like think about or deal with or worry about and really kind of front load the conversation with them. So when they come, they can really enjoy and sort of like move and not have to think about their dietary restrictions and allergies. And it's really to sort of like take care of them and to really, we use an expression in Japanese which translates to read the air, which is trying to understand the dynamic. Every guest in every situation, every table is different. Is it a, 
engagement or an anniversary or old college friends or this is a business meeting or you know what are they celebrating something what is it and try to like really more than like this is our program and this is our script it's really to like sort of to move with the guest in the way that they want the experience you know to happen that's like most appropriate for that moment so maybe one time they're going to come here for an anniversary and then the next time they're going to come back with a group of old college friends and the experience is going to feel a little bit different and it's we're the same it's just it's really them that's that's different you're so tuned into the guest yeah. here i love that um if we were to sit down and have dinner tonight where would we see tomatoes on the menu how are they being used yeah and one of the reasons that i chose you know tomatoes also it's it's a, an ingredient that i think we feel proud to repeat i think chefs in like the tasty menu format are always very very apprehensive about repeating ingredient it's kind of like almost seen as like don't do that like that's a wrong like that's a wrong step to do is like you always want to be showing something different and and we do subscribe to that as well sometimes because we do have multiple varieties of like the same thing like say peppers we might work them in in different places but generally speaking we're trying to always have something different and really contrast each dish so each dish stands alone but there's also contrast before the dish that came before it and the dish that comes after it but tomatoes are really you know unique in that i think you're kind of proud in the in the in in the season to to showcase them and not just have that one one moment and i think guests are really excited about that and we on our first course which you sit down to and it's already laid out on the table when the guests arrive they sit down there's like 10 small bites in front of them and this year katina said i just want them i just want the guests to taste the tomatoes on their own which is something that we do sometimes but not really often where we don't or i mean we're a gastronomic restaurant like we're here to to not manipulate her produce but to to do something creative with it but in this case she said i want them everyone to be able to taste one of the yellow you know one of the like the sun golds and one of the orange just to kind of see the difference of like how different they really are it's not just the color that's different it's the flavor it's the acidity it's the sweetness it's all of these things so we kind of have just a couple bites just to like kind of almost like prime you a little bit uh and then we're right now we're doing uh basically a dish that works in three different parts so we're smoking black cod uh in one of our donabe one of our japanese clay pot smokers over cherry blossom wood with kind of a paste that we make from the concentration of some of the larger tomatoes and then we're serving that in a broth kind of a but basically like a savory tomato dashi with different varieties of uh with tomatoes in there so it kind of eats like a very traditional style of uh kaiseki dish but it's just very very california with the black cod and all the tomatoes and this kind of uh this broth uh, and then we have a very, very like light aerated homemade tofu that we make with, again, all different varieties of tomatoes and some of our cucumbers um, on there. And then lastly, like after you have this very rich dish, because that fish is quite rich and it's like smoky, rich black cod. And then afterwards, you kind of almost get this like classic like intermezzo, but it's in all of the tomato vines and ice. And uh, it's a sorbet of the tomato and the peaches from the farm with like jellies of tomatoes and some of their tomatoes. So it, it, you're kind of like just you just kind of keep hitting the guests, but with like these different aspects where you have the rich and the very umami. And then you have like the sort of like the cold and more traditional, almost like eating like this sort of like more Japanese-esque sort of uh, insulata caprese. And then you have this like really cold and the sweetness. And so you're taking this guest on this journey of like the sweet and the umami and you know all the different sides so you're, you're not just kind of like hitting one note over and over and it's like to really show that versatility andrea are you she's drooling um, next so to me I'm, sorry I'm, stop I'm that legitimately stop it, legitimately right now. i need to try turn the cameras I'm not sure off why i didn't have it sent up yeah. <laughs> you, you know what i was going to ask too is obviously japan there's so much japanese inflection yeah. here but you did you spent six years at the fat duck with heston blumenthal yeah do does that and you mentioned that you also, your family is British. Yeah. Does that figure into the cuisine and does that come into any parts here? It's got to be part of your, yeah, your yeah. foundation here. There, there's so many different, I mean, I, I was saying I grew up cooking in these very California restaurants, you know, with, you know, Luke and AOC with Suzanne Goyen and, you know, with um, at uh, Nancy Silverton at Campanile and, and Spago, it was very like LA, very California sort of, and, and then in sushi restaurants. And then to cook very, to go to traditional Japanese culinary school, apprentice in sushi, work in Kaiseki, also work in French cuisine, and then to go in a completely different direction and work 
in this like crazy mad laboratory fat duck modernist cuisine area where you know in these years that i was there 2006 to 2011 like food was just rapidly changing you know it was like a whole new world was opening up it was a very very exciting time and then to come back here and really there's like elements of all of that there's there's traditional french technique in the way that we uh, we do things there's obviously a lot of japanese uh, technique but there's still that very much like we're very california restaurant and you still get those that, that inspiration from you know the people the generations of people who like graduated from shaping east you know and went on and like what that movement started here in california and i think the my fat duck modernist side is not so overt to the guest like it's not you know that if you know anything about that cuisine it was it's very sort of like theatrical it's very storytelling you know there's a lot of different you know things where we're you know, you're putting an iPod in and listening to the sound of the, the sea and you're eating this sea dish and then you have this Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter's Tea Party with the melting gold watch. And, you know, there was a lot of like sort of like fun storytelling, theatrical storytelling with some really solid food. And that, I think, from the guest perspective, they don't see maybe as much of that like kind of big show liquid nitrogen, you know, in your face. But what my takeaway really was from the time that was this, and what Hessen stressed is so important was the multi-sensory aspects of the dining experience. So how guests, you know, what they see, what they touch, what they, you know, they smell, what they're told, the sort of this neuro-linguistic side of like the storytelling and narrative, conjuring up imagery, how, how, you, how to tell a really good story um, and how to capture people in the moment and how to like really use and like sort of like leverage all of the senses because people in an environment like this, their senses are very, very heightened. They're anticipating this experience. They kind of, you know, the journey to get here, you go come across the Golden Gate Bridge and then you drive up and now you're in wine country and you come across the Russian River and into our great little like wine country village. And so you're that's that's part of like the experience at Single Thread, just like going to the Fat Duck and driving into this village from the 1400s in England is it sets you up for that so that's what's great about like a wine country restaurant versus you know if we were in the city I think we'd be a very different restaurant because people are when they arrive through that door like they've already been on this journey to 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 get here and so you know we have the ability to then sort of like capture all these things so you know for me it's like it's all this like the multi-sensory approach to hospitality and to the guest experience is really where you know that is and so that 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 but that heavily influences the, i think the guest doesn't see that as so much but it, it it's probably actually as much as like japan influences that it, it it has an equal amount of influence here when you opened how long was it before you got your first star and was it a rise of one two and then three and were you sitting there anticipating that third um it was uh we um, didn't get one. We went to two. Uh, we got our second star 11 months after opening. Incredible. So within the first year. So we opened in December and then we got of, we opened in December of 2016 and then November of 2017, we got our um, second star. And then that next November, we got our third star. What did Incredible. that feel so, like? Yeah. It's pretty. <laughs> I mean, you're smiling. Pretty incredible. You're... Yeah. It's, uh, you know, of course it's, you know, it's it's amazing. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing recognition of the team and all of the the hard work. And, you know, we opened Single Thread when we were 40. So, you know, I started cooking professionally in restaurants at 16. I've never done anything else. Like I have done this like very religiously, no break, you know, like just re- like we've been very, you know, dedicated to, you know, the path and we love it. And it, not because we're like somehow masochistic, we're just very passionate. We, we love it. Um, so much. Oh, we are earthquake. having an earthquake. Oh, we're having an earthquake. Oh my God. A little shaker. Yeah. Strong one. Um, that's decent. Yeah, that's a small one for California. It's decent. I'm sorry. Yeah, Let's keep rolling. Birth. It's the earthquake episode. Yeah. <laughs> Today's ingredient is yeah. earthquakes. Um, wow. Let's hold on a second. Sometimes like they'll have a, oh, yeah, see that I little, want to just text. Feel the little uh, shake. We heard that if there's an earthquake and you're here at single thread that you get uh, invited in <laughs> yeah. for dinner. I yeah. heard that. I did want to talk about tomatoes in Japanese cuisine because they're not really super prominent. Is that accurate? In, um, not, I would say historically, yeah. if we're like talking really, really historically, no. 
but um but now i think they are quite a quite a bit and you do see them in a lot of like what i would consider more traditional japanese cuisine kaiseki cuisine you see them um quite a bit and there's a lot of tomatoes grown in uh japan Mm -hmm. at a very high level so they tend to not because space is at such a premium to grow like non more premium you know things because you just one no one wants to and two you can't compete with like outside exports when it comes to more commodity type of produce so when people grow things in japan they tend to grow them like very well and um you know and, and people are very discerning about quality uh their flavor and quality um it's really important and so um when people grow it tends to be on a smaller scale and it tends to be a really high quality so uh the tomatoes that they grow there they they really focus on a particular variety called fruits uh, tomato and it's a uh, kind of like small round darker red and has a very kind of like sweet and more fruity kind of like more strawberry you know notes to it like to be eaten raw versus cooked yeah to more of a like a raw eating um tomato tomato or sort of like marinating tomato but a lot of like raw and because umami is such a big part of the flavor profile in japan you tend to see a more umami style of tomato sweet and umami are like flavors that they really like so you see like more of like sort of sweet umami and you see preparations that tend to be more like umami where it will be with something like with soy sauces and misos and things like things that really because tomatoes are really high in glutamates and so something that supports like those like those glutamates with more of like an umami flavor um, profile so i wouldn't say it's like as ubiquitous to the cuisine as it is like say in Italy and certainly like in California, but it, it's it's definitely there. And there's a lot of tomato ponzus and things that people will do. Nice. Great. Great question. So you single thread is six years old and you also have a little saint yeah. down the street. Uh, which beautiful is, cafe. Beautiful. We had lunch there yesterday. Um, vegan, you know, obviously um, vegetable forward, delicious how you, you know, how they're treated. Um, are, are there any other projects on the horizon for you? Yeah, I mean, that's really, you know, Little Saints but in our new project. And that was really something that we wanted to do in the community. That's a really, as you saw, I mean, it's a small community here. And that building is like a very sort of prominent building um, here. And that was a great project that we got to be a part of with the local family who bought that site. And then our friend Ken Folk, the designer who started this incredible um, arts foundation for emerging artists and things. So everything at Little Saint that happens I'll say goes back to to um to the foundation and really like the brief there as we were like all coming together what could be done was to say we're going to do this in a completely plant-based way so we have the restaurant cafe there the kind of grab and go the wine shop there's a produce uh you can buy too from the farm and floor the, the flowers and uh, a coffee bar uh, and then upstairs we have like a live music venue and place for you know different events visiting chefs we just had Jorge Vallejo from Quintanil in Mexico City and Val Cantu from California and San Francisco. We did like a vegan like taco night and like a whole Mexican themed cool. uh, menu up nice. there and talk and fundraiser for a local um, uh, group that works with agricultural workers here. And so it's a place for us to do a lot of different things. We didn't have a, really like a live music venue here and so wanted to bring that. So it was like kind of like three different groups coming together and wanting to do a lot of things around you know, f- food, obviously, agriculture and events and music and wine and all kinds of um, fun stuff. But for us, when we first opened, we had a five-acre farm uh, that we leased. And then two years ago, we bought it, the 24-acre farm where we went today. So my wife basically started over, brand new farm, much larger. As you saw today, there's a lot of undeveloped parts of the farm because sure. it's still pretty new for us. So as she grew her agricultural footprint by like almost like five times, it was really that we wanted to open this restaurant as like an outlet of the produce. So we also have a small farm for Little Saint only, which is a five acre farm. And that grows a lot of the things that we need in, in like more quantities like carrots and onions and salad greens. And then Single Thread focuses a little bit more on the specialty varieties. But it was a way for guests to come and experience the same produce that she's grown and with the same process and same integrity. And, you know, I could go into her regenerative agriculture and yeah. no-till philosophy and all those kinds of things. But it was a way for them to, for guests to come and, and, and experience that in a much more casual way. And obviously at a much different sort of like price point and still enjoy, as I was saying, like the, the story of today. I mean, the menu very much reflects like, this is what we're harvesting today. Awesome. That potato dish. Oh, 
was Last delicious. So I keep good. thinking about so it. So good. It was my favorite dish of the Simple, of the meal. So yeah. good. Good. Do you cook a lot at home? Yeah, we we do cook a lot at home. I love to to cook at home. We 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 do cook a lot of Japanese food at home. We make a lot of donburi, so a lot of rice bowls, a lot of hot pots. I know where Andrea is going with this. She yeah. loves to ask this question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five pantry staples, your must-haves. Oh yeah, I, that's. Um, Pretty easy. I mean, for cushy curry rice, um, really good uh, soy sauce, uh, shiokoji, so like malted rice, um, shiokoji, um, roasted uh, sesame, and uh, white miso. Yum. Nice. I have way more, but those are the easiest. Like, those are the top five. I love that. Yeah. Great. Um, Well, it's been such an honor to be here. As and experience say, my first earthquake with I you. I was going to say, yeah. as they say in the Michelin Guide, worthy of a special journey to Healdsburg, California. It's been so fun getting to talk to you today. And yeah, thanks for coming really, to visit us. Really great. And thank you for that earthquake effect that you of guys... Course. This place is so... They're so good. I'm they're shook. So, the authentic, yeah. No, the authentic <laughs> California experience. They That's actually... It. They made that earthquake we for wanted, us. We wanted you to feel the, the very, very authentic <laughs> California experience. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks Thank so, you so much, much, Kyle. Thank Kyle you. Penaughton from Single Thread. Joining us live from Paso Robles, California, is Hugo Gomez from Munich Farms. Um, Hugo, so nice to have you here. We can see behind you your beautiful farm. Can you show us really quick where you're Yes. At? Yes. This is uh, this is the beginning of the season. You know, those plants I planting in February, and I cover it. If you see it uh, in, uh, in the back, you know, you can see the tunnels right doing it. You know, I covered it because the frost I had like uh, three weeks ago. Even this morning, even little, I have a little bit of, I sent it, but Don, Don Harris plants uh, this time in a year, though. So Munich yeah. Farms is growing some of the best tomatoes in the state of California. You're in the, the world. Santa Ma- yeah, in, in the, the world. world. Yes, Thank you for the correcting sure. me. And <laughs> you're, 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 you're at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. You're at a lot of farmer's markets in California. Um, this has been a very tough year, by the way, weather-wise. I imagine with all of the rain and the cold. Um, how are you guys doing? Uh, that's uh, the the farm uh, is the toughest part in the in the in the earth, but this is the happiest in the same time. Always, always had at uh, this time in the season they have a rain and usual, and usual that happened in California, you know. Uh, but uh, I I I I had banished for that, you know. I'm 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 okay with the rain, and that's I needed rain. I needed rain absolutely. Good. You know more Good. more than her us help us. Yeah, Good. You know, we're, helps we're a lot. Glad. Helps so, a lot. Yes. Tell us about what kind of vegetables and or fruits that you grow at Munich Farms. Yeah, what are you indoors, known for? Not 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 indoors. Uh, everything is outdoors, outside. Nothing indoors. I'm not a. I'm not. I don't like the quality you got from indoors. This an artificial, artificial weather. So you can tell this natural and organically either. So everything what, I grow, that's that's uh, upside, sir. And what do you grow? I grow tomatoes, uh, uh, heirloom tomatoes, and melons and watermelons, and uh, some squash. Squash, yes, a few of them, not not a lot, you know. But the most I growing that's uh, uh, sangal tomatoes and heirloom tomatoes and celebrity tomatoes, you know. How, ma- uh, how many varieties of tomatoes do you grow? Okay, I have a uh, uh, sangal of the cherries. I had three of them as a blush, uh, and I had uh, sangals, and I had a uh, sweet 100, the ones that are red, red cherry Love tomatoes. So, so good. So delicious. Yeah. yeah. And when does the season start for tomatoes in California? For The season for tomatoes up here for us, that's uh, last week in May and the first week in June. Depends what kind of weather I get from now on. You know, so you plant in February and you get I, fruit in, starting in May? I'm starting in May. Last, uh, last week in May, yeah, I have some of them, but uh, definitely, but uh, middle of June, I have plenty this time. I hope so. You know, you can see those guys pounding the sticks right now to start tying those sangles. You know, that's like my best, my best. I mean, all are good, but that's the more popular, you know. 
And what is, what is the flavor it. profile? What is the Sun Gold tomato taste like? What is the flavor they taste, profile? They, 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 they taste so sweet. They sweet. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't do I don't do much. You know, this kind of weather that I want to get in this area, this uh, is a really good uh, weather for, because uh, I got a. A hundred and two in the day, but in the night cooled off to sixty-five. So that means let them the plants breeding, you know, and give a plenty sugar to the fruit. So it's not a much secret uh, because I do Santa Monica market for more than thirty years now, you know, and uh, all my customers keep saying it, keep asking me, how you put in the tomatoes? I say I put love in it, and you need to put love in it, anything you do, you know. Absolutely. So that's I what I that. put. I love that. That's seven 24 7 is what i you need to do in the farm you know H hugo do you still go to the farmer's market yourself uh once in a while my son victor is the one he's in charge now you know to the sales and the, the farmer's market uh, i need to stay up here to keep the quality to keep the there's a little game to you playing with the water that's more important, you know. You can overwater it because if you overwater anything, any plant, any fruit, you put so much percentage of the water in the fruit, and you don't have good flavor. You don't got enough sugar, though. And, and how uh, many? They, they learn little by little. Yeah. I was going to ask you how many farmers markets does your son go to in California? He's going. He's going Santa Monica, Monterey, Santa Barbara, in Cambria. Wow. And I got and my brother, and I got another team who helped me doing a, another market. So my brother, I had a brother working with me up here, helped me in the business, you know, and uh, he helped me doing another. Uh, but uh, more, more important market for us to keep that wrench, keep in business, that's Santa Monica, absolutely. I'm glad that you said that your tomatoes are the best in the world because mm -hmm. I, you know, I first said they're the best they in, in the United they States. Yeah. I've always felt that if you've ever been lucky enough to have an heirloom tomato mm -hmm. or a Sun Gold or a Sweet 100 from California and in particular Munich Farms, they are the so best. good. They really yeah. are the best in the world. And I think you said it when, you know, you have it's abundant sunshine, it's the soil. I mean, what really makes them the best in the world? The best in the world, that's the, the weather I get. This this, mm -hmm. this is what it is, you know, the weather, like I say, you know. And uh, the other thing, like I don't overwater it, nothing. I mean, in that in that uh, that weather, they give it a chance to not overwater. Because if you grow tomatoes in uh, San Joaquin Valley, which is uh, uh, the, lowest, the lowest temperature in the summer, it comes down to 90, one of the two. The plant dehydrate because you not put enough water, or you need to put a lot of water to the plant to survive. But in the same way, you know, they have so much water, the fruit. You're in there up with too much water in the fruit. But they don't have choice, though. You know, it needs to be that way. So that's have why. You been... And up here, and up here is different. Do you water the tomatoes? I've heard, you know, there's a lot of things on the Internet on the best way to grow a tomato. I've heard if you water it from the bottom... From the roots, you get a, a better tomato. I don't know if that's true or not. It's something I read. Ah, uh, they talk too much. They 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 they, <laughs> they, 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 they said uh, too much tricks. If you see a catalog for the series companies, if you see anything out, you know they they talk too much. You need a practice. You need to come up here in the real action uh, uh, part, you know. And I see a lot of people who's come in the markets with products. They city boys. They not. They not. They not. Uh, they not uh, really, really, really farmers. You know. But that's right. not my business. You know. My business. I'm glad. I thank God. You know. God, thank you for everybody of you guys. You know. I got sold out every week. You know. Because I pick every day. Every day. They pick every day. Single day of year. Seven days a week. So. How many I years have you? How many years have you been farming? 30 up here in this place, uh, that's 37 years. And, and did, how did you become a farmer? I'm born in Mexico in the farm, you know. Uh, my papa is still farming up there. And uh, I go on to school and uh, I start a little, little basis uh, things. And uh, I'm in contact with, uh, with uh, nature, you know, all the time. And uh, mm -hmm. I like it. I love it. Uh, and, and this, uh, what do you learn little by little? 
you know, you know nobody's come and be a genius to doing nothing uh, except if you not practice for a long time. That's my that's my my opinion, and this what happened with me. You know, year by year you learn, but you never learn enough. It's something I, it always comes something new and and a thing, and then but. Uh, uh, it's in detail and uh, 100, so you need to know 95% what you're doing it. So you get out go- with the good things. Yeah, so you've been going to the Santa Monica's Farmer's Market for 30 years. Today, yes. the Santa Monica Farmer's Market, I think, is one of the most popular places, even for just people, from tourists from out of town to visit. Um, but for a long time, the Santa Monica Farmer's Market was very important and still is to chefs in Los Angeles. They love to go there to buy for their restaurants. And uh, do you know how much of your customers are actually chefs in restaurants? Yes, I'm. Uh, uh, that was uh, that's a good that's a good point right there. You know, that's uh, 15 years ago. Uh, I sell in much more in the table compared with the, for for a restaurants. What happened? The society changed a lot. The youngest people. They're not liking cooking, so they buy in the restaurants. So the, so the restaurants industry come and get bigger and really good for us. You know, I move a lot of products because they pre-order like you guys, and that's good for me. And uh, uh, they go in the restaurant industry because uh, Los Angeles myself, you know, this uh, and the more uh, I mean, one of the attractives for the tourists come to visit LA, you know, from Europe, from. Uh, Asia for whatever, when they come and visit LA and they look for a good restaurant. So now you know with the social thing, you know with the Instagram and all those places, right. they know it mm-hmm. from here to India, China, wherever. When they come, they come with all the information, you know. And I I sell in produce for the most 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 uh, high reputation chefs in LA, you know, and in, in Santa Monica and all that area. So that helps a lot. This a uh, really pretty pretty good for us you know promoted my products and uh, do you know do you know some of the chefs that buy your tomatoes i know a lot i got this uh, one of the from republic you know uh, walter yeah. sure walter yeah walter i know josiah is josiah yep. is old school you yep. know uh, yeah yes imagine i'm for more than 30 years in the business so i know campanelli he passed away uh, yeah mark yeah you know yeah, Mark Campanelli, and I, I know about the, the guy who used to have giraffe. That's a raf. It's a uh, uh, Josiah partner, long time. Josiah's partner. Uh, Josiah's partner. I know uh, Raphael. Ra- Raphael, correct. So now he's got another another place where the name is Luneta. He's got in twenty uh, fifth and yeah. uh, Raphael Luneta. Yeah. Yeah, Luneta. Yes, and. Uh, Jelena, uh, Justa, you know, mm-hmm. I know that chef, which is uh, my big, big, big friend, the same as the other people. Uh, this, uh, yeah. So Left. you're selling to the, the who's best. who, the very yeah. best restaurants in Los Angeles, which is yeah, fantastic. Bestia. I saw, I saw Bestia. I saw every, every. Uh, I've had I am um, Great White. I'm uh, all those, all those guys who say. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the, his business, you know, and I appreciate they support us really, really good, and they buy our products. We feel really you lucky know. to sell your tomatoes at Chef's Warehouse. I yeah. mean, it's a it's an incredible partnership. We love your products. If you are interested, please go to chefswarehouse.com, and yes. you can buy these beautiful tomatoes. Hugo, how many cases of tomatoes are you producing per day or per week? Yeah, what is your crop typically? During the peak of the season. The peak in the season, I pick uh, 500 boxes of the sangal tomatoes. Per yes, week? Yes, per week, yes. Wow, wow. that's a lot of tomatoes. And reason. I sold out, and I don't have enough. I still don't have enough. So this time, in a, this time, this season especially, I double them up, triple them up. The, the quantity of plants I planted in the beginning, because in the beginning, I never got enough for everybody. So now I put three times as much. It's, How big it's is your a, farm? How many this acres? 85, this 85 acres. Huge. This 85 wow. acres, which is 65 acres, going to tomatoes, and they are, the rest of them, they go to, to melons. Melons and watermelons. 
Wow, I they think John and I need to come visit. <laughs> and this is a family business. How many? How many of your family members work at Munich Farms? All, all the team are my family. You know, my best I and mean, my right hand. That's Victor, who's make the farmers market for me now. That's my son and all my family working up here. Since my wife, she's uh, she's making a uh, in my 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 wife and my uh, daughter. You know, my my. My granddaughter and uh, not, not my granddaughter, my that Victor's wife. Uh, they make the sun-dried tomatoes. Oh, nice! Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so there's a whole team and a whole family involved in the business, though. It's the, it needs to be that way. Otherwise, you're not you're not made it. Oh, I not made it. You know, yeah. Do you have a like a place on the farm where where they're sun where they where they are sun drying or how? What is that process? Yes, yes, I I got a special place for. It. Yeah, I had an special place for doing it. Yeah, because I may, I do it natural with the sun. And especially when I got 100 degrees up here, it just take two, three days to be really dry. Nice. Love it. Yes. Well, Hugo, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real treat. Uh, I can't wait to taste these tomatoes, Andrea. I want to go visit the farm, John. Yeah. I want to go any, meet any, Hugo any time, and Mr. Anytime, you guys. <laughs> well, it sounds like the the most important ingredient here is love and passion. Ex and... Exactly. 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 That's, that's love and, and, and you like it, what you're doing, you know, and end it up with uh, good things. Anything and any kind, you know. I can tell there's a lot of love in your tomatoes, Hugo. And yes. We, we, we appreciate yes. you and everything you're doing for Chef's Warehouse. Thank yeah, and I, like, I, and I like to uh, treat the people like they, they treat us, you know. And that's, yeah. uh, that's really, really, really good. They're really good. I'm so proud of you guys, you know, in a way uh, you support my, my Thank business. Thank you. So if you are in Santa Monica and you go to the farmer's market, make sure you are stopping by and visiting Munich Farms get their tomatoes, get their melons. They are truly the best in the world. They Absolutely. are. Thank you. Thank they you so are, much, yeah. Hugo, for being here with us they, today. They, Thank they, you, Hugo. And I can, yeah, that's at 15, 20 minutes. It's not enough to talk about all those marvelous things, you know, but I know uh, we'll have to, we'll have, to have you on again. Yes, I know the television costs so much, so I don't have that much to pay for, but <laughs> we'll make it little by little. Okay. Thanks, Hugo. Thank, Thank you, guys. Hugo. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products we discussed in today's episode and more at chefswarehouse.com or your favorite specialty retailer. Mm -hmm.